You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Right, hopefully you've got a Bible with you and you're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis and chapter 3. We're doing a series called Gospel Foundations. It's in the start of the Bible. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 to 11. Just before we do that, Let's be honest, 2021 hasn't been the year I was hoping. I remember seeing Christmas cards at the end of last year saying, goodbye 2020, hello 2021. And yet I read this week that we have now had 4 million cases of COVID-19 in this country. And we've also had 116,000 deaths in the UK. And so suddenly I'm sort of thinking, oh, golly, I don't think I really like 2021. I'd like to go back in time. But then I was thinking about the year 2004. I thought, God, if I went back in time, where would I go then? That was the year we had the tsunami at Christmas, where suddenly the whole thing was tragic. It was where we had a bank robbery of 26 million. No, I don't want to go back to 2004. Why don't I go back to 1984? 1984, I remember it well. I was a teenager. Yeah, don't try and work out my age. The miners' strike after Scargill. It just felt the nation pitted against our government. Tragic. Maybe I'll go back to 1804. 1804, Spain declared war on Britain. I guess the honest truth is that if I go back the whole way to Genesis 4, there's always been trouble, disagreement. I guess we discover that life is not a garden party. Jay Neuenbohn, in his book, An Orphan's Tale, said this, a wife who loses a husband is called a widow. A husband who loses a wife is called a widower. A child who loses his parents is called an orphan. There is no word for a parent. Who loses a child. That's how awful the loss is. In this chapter, we're going to read about a sibling that killed their brother. Let's read Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 to 16. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 to 16. I think the words will come up, but if you've got a Bible, look, let's get it out. It's great, isn't it? Cain and Abel, it says in my Bible, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. 
And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Golly, this passage is packed with truth. Uh, There's so many things that you could just sort of throw out east. The further east you go, the further you get away from God. I'm just glad to say that I live in West London. And if you don't live in Ealing, come and join us. This is where the presence of God is. Seriously, we've got to pull out some better points than that. So I think we need to pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel origins that we're discovering in Genesis. I pray that you would speak to us this morning. We don't just want to come and learn about a distant God or, or a word long ago. We're asking for something that will shape and change us for today. We ask this for your precious name's sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, so there are two sons, two sons that we've got in this story. Cain is born and Eve is delighted. She literally cries out, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. If you've been tracking with us, you know that she was called woman and then she was called Eve because she'd be the mother of all living. It must have been a strange thing. Rob and Rachel uh, from the church are uh, living with us at the moment. Rachel is pregnant. I'd be very careful how my analogy I use there. But you know, with the expanding waistline, we know that this healthy child is being, being grown. Eve, what, what would it have been like? Suddenly to think, golly, I'm, I'm putting on this. My skins are getting a little bit tight. What would it have been like to suddenly felt like this baby kicking? Nobody says, well, that's what babies do. I wonder the sense of excitement, anticipation, expectation. On top of all of this, we know that God had said in Genesis 3 verse 15, I will put enmity between the woman and between your offspring. This was to the serpent. And and her offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So suddenly Eve has about to have an offspring. I wonder if this excitement was Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one who will have victory over the serpent who they blamed for causing all the misery? I guess I was thinking about it. I always sort of try and picture myself back in the story. If I'd have been Adam and Eve, I'd have started with Abel. Because after all, if you're the mother of all the living, you're probably going to give birth to Lot. So let's do them alphabetically. Abel. Ben, Cain, I guess it would go like that. 
But in those days, names meant much more. Cain almost meant self-sufficient, strength, production, fruit, success. Cain followed in the footsteps of his father. As Adam worked the land, Cain, his lad, joined him in the family business. The Bible then records the second son turning up. Let's be honest, if you're a parent right now, I'd ask you, don't do it now because we're watching. Have you got more photos of your firstborn or your secondborn? Uh, If we're really honest, you know, the second one turns up, not noticed quite as much. Well, that's true in the Bible. Eve makes no faith statement about Abel. There are no words of Abel recorded in the Bible. He never marries. He never has children. What do we know about Abel? We know that he was a shepherd. Maybe he was the first tailor, because after all, they had animals for skins. That's what they wore. Maybe he introduced dairy into our diet. Maybe that's why he has these. Maybe he was a priest. All that we know is that these two men come and bring, these two sons bring an offering to God. Okay, I've got a quick quiz for you. Spot the difference. There's a slide coming up now, and I want you to see. You can put it in the chat straight away. Come on, who can see the difference? Two pictures, spot the difference. Anyone see them? Yeah, I'm just pausing for a moment, just trying to give you a chance. Look a little closer. Okay, trick question. There was no difference. I sometimes think we try and read a difference in the offering between Cain and Abel. Why? One raised animals and offered that. One grew things and offered that. It's easy to try and read between the lines rather than read what is on the lines. It's funny because God accepts one and rejects another. This is quite a twist in the story for us. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve chose to reject God. And yet in chapter 4, God is choosing to reject one of the offerings. And so many have said that these two sons can really be seen as very distinct and different. You can see one as godliness and one as godlessness. Cain was a type of godless humanity. Abel was a type of spiritual man. Augustine, he was a, a North African bishop around 400 said Cain built the city of man. We didn't read that part of the chapter. You hear that he builds a city. Whereas Abel built the city of God. And so I'm going to suggest this morning that these two sons are actually two totally different ways. Two ways. Abel, I'm suggesting, is the way of faith. Now, you might say to me, Pete, are you reading between the lines? Well, the beautiful thing about the Bible is that we discover other things across the Bible about this story. So in Hebrews, the author there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, says this. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. So therefore, I, I could argue, actually, Abel to me is a picture of faith. We believe that he approached God by faith. Grateful for who God is. 
Grateful for what God has done. Grateful that God had promised that a Messiah would come. So what about Cain the other way? Well, again, if we look in the New Testament, I'm going to suggest that Cain probably represents fear or folly. 1 John 3, a letter in the New Testament, says this, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteous. So spot the difference. I'm going to say, actually, the the sense of offering was the same. The difference was the heart. Abel was doing it by faith, and Cain was going through the motions. Maybe Cain was caught in a habit. Oh, well, I I bring an offering because that's what my parents had told me. There There was an offering in the first place. That's what covered sin. Maybe Cain just did it because he wanted to get God off his back. Oh, well, I've got to do this. Why am I sat watching YouTube right now? Get God off my back. Maybe Cain did it because he wanted something from God. Let me ask you the question. Are you following God by faith or out of fear? Paul Taylor, in his commentary about Genesis, says this, The fact that Cain was angry shows that he did not understand the point. He thought that reconciliation with God could be achieved by his own efforts. You see, Cain was used to being the best. He was compared with old fragile boy. Abel literally means vanity. It literally means breath. Cain was compared to fragile boy and always worked out well until now. David Atkinson in his commentary said, Cain had not come to God in humble obedience on grace, but in arrogant self-sufficiency. You see, the temptation was no longer external. Adam and Eve, they reached out and grabbed something. It had become internal. Temptation was inside Cain. It's gone to his heart. We know, don't we, in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 16, when they're choosing a future king, Lord says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse Dasson, Basker, in the South Asian Bible commentary, says the attitude of the worshipper is more important than the materials offered. The attitude of the worshipper. Isn't it great? Sam and Anna just stirred us there. Oh, come on, let's bring our heart of worship to God. Genesis chapter 4 is actually the first time sin, which many people, I guess, use that word or think of that word, to do the Christian faith, it's the first time it's introduced. We know that murder is sin. But let me ask you, where did the sin begin? When I used to teach Sunday school, we used to have this little saying, little sins grow into big sins, and big sins kill. You see, basically, this was a, a growing problem of sin. Something that started small, started in his heart and led him to murder his brother. 
The great American educator Stephen Covey says this, so a thought reap an action, so an action reap a habit, so a habit and reap a character, so a character and reap a destiny. It's almost like the little things that you do regularly, regularly will shape you. Do we fight sin when it's in our hearts? Often people don't suddenly think, I'm going to go and murder someone. They just get angry. And then they don't just get angry. They hit the horn on the car and give them a polite or impolite wave. They shout something at them. Sin just grows from the heart and grows. John Calvin, the French theologian, said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And then there's this picture that we see in Genesis. And it's almost like God has come and said, sin is crouching at your door. Now, now, look, I'm not going to say I totally understand that analogy. But I guess I think if something's crouching, it feels a little bit smaller than it really is. It's almost an animal trying to hide it's ready to attack. I think there's a sense of power rather than activity. Sin is crouching. In this church, we encourage people to meet in accountability threes. So actually, we can say, hey, how do we hold one another accountable? Is there sin crouching in your heart? Look, if you're not in one of those threes and you'd like to, email me, text me. We can sort that out. You see, God is challenging them. Are you going to let sin master you, or are you going to come and fight it back? I find it tragic, don't you, that Eve Eve in Genesis chapter 3 had to be talked into sin by the serpent. By Genesis 4, God seems unable to talk Cain out of sin. You think, oh, I tell you, we need to fight on every, every foot. The tragedy, the destructive power of sin. Cain, internal anger, becomes depressed. Cain deceives and kills his brother. Cain breaks relationship with God. Cain is banished from his parents. Cain's children get increasingly worse. If we'd have had time to read the whole of Genesis 4, we would see that. Victor Hamilton, in his commentary, says, Unable to restrain his resentment and bitterness, Cain vents his wrath on the only possible scapegoat, Abel, his brother. Think about it. Eve thought Cain was going to be the Messiah. But instead of crushing the head of the serpent, he squeezes the life out of his brother. Instead of coming as Eve was thinking, thinking, oh, you're going to throw off this evil, he kills his own brother. Before in the Garden of Eden, God had come and said to Adam, where are you? It's this sin, it's causing Adam to hide. Now God comes and says, where's your brother? Because the individual has spread to the community sin. Barnaby Ashahoto in the African commentary, says this, in bitterness, Cain rejected brotherhood and sought individualism. Where sin is not clearly confessed and abandoned, it becomes a trap and poisons an entire community, especially the children for generations to come. 
And suddenly you read this, don't you? And you think, golly, the sin that I do, it affects other people. I could do a whole sermon right now on how our sin affects the world's poor. My choices in life means that other people that I never see will suffer. Poverty, starvation. Cain does not repent of his sin. He is not sorry that he sinned. He's sorry that he's caught. And again, I think, oh, this is such a challenge, isn't it? Am I genuinely sorry for the things that I've done wrong? Or am I sorry that I've been found out in a shame society? So think, I just don't want to be found out. I want to ask you three questions. The purpose of a question is just let's pause. Let's think, how does this impact us? Question number one, what is your attitude to sin in your life right now? What is your attitude to sin in your life right now? Sin is not a cuddly kitten, but if you believe 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it's a roaring lion. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, the boss's wife comes on to him. He's a servant. She's obviously powerful. I'm assuming beautiful. She wants him sexually. He doesn't even want to be in the room with her. In fact, when she grabs him, he flees. What's your attitude to sin? Do we get close or do we flee? Question number two. How does your posture towards others reflect your posture towards God? Well, we know, don't we, from Matthew 22, that we are to love the Lord God with all our heart and to love others as ourselves. You see, if we really know the love of God, we will be quicker to forgive, quicker to be humble and to think of others. And thirdly, what kind of legacy are you leaving behind? I was convicted on the phone speaking to my own mother this week. Uh, if anybody knows me, I can sort of bend rules slightly, if I'm totally honest. And my mother likes to keep them. I've often wondered why she's not a county court judge. Always used to joke she's got a moral conscience for a family of five. And I'm now in trouble because she does watch this throughout the week. We were talking about COVID and she said, oh, I know what you'd say, Pete. Forgiveness is easier to obtain than permission. And suddenly I felt quite challenged. So I thought, is that my legacy? Do I think? That's my legacy. Is that what I'm passing on to physical and spiritual children? I think we get challenged here by what is our approach to sin. Now, I think, oh, again, there's so many sermons in this. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that we are racing through Genesis. Now I wish instead of doing it over 12 weeks, we did it over like 32 weeks. Here we see God that often we think in the Old Testament is a harsh judge. Actually, he's compassionate. I don't know why he doesn't kill Cain. I don't know why Cain doesn't get treated the way he treated others. There's this sign. What is the sign? I don't know. Do you know, one commentary I read this week said the sign was a dog. Cain got given a dog and everyone knew and he got a dog, so therefore God was to protect him. I don't think that was the case myself. <laughs> I tell you what I do believe. 
Jesus was a better Cain. Why do I say that? Well, Cain fears being a restless wanderer. But when Jesus came on the earth, he had nowhere to call his own. Cain worries about being abandoned. But Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, where are you? Cain fears being killed. And Jesus ultimately died on the cross for us. What I realize is this whole chapter paints a better picture of who Jesus is. And if that's true of Cain, I think that's even more true of Abel. Let's jump to the New Testament again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 to 24. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, Jesus is a better Abel. The blood of Abel, which literally says was spilt, cries out for justice. The blood of Jesus cries out, justify. The blood of Abel cries for vengeance. The blood of Jesus cries over you, forgiven. The blood of Abel cries out for revenge. The blood of Jesus cries out, redeemed. Look, sin is a massive, massive problem. We see this. Wherever you go through history, you can see the problems of sin. The solution is the blood of Jesus. Some of you will be aware there's a song Matt Redmond had written. It goes like this. Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. What can wash away our sins? What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash us pure as snow, welcomed as the friends of God? Nothing but your blood. Nothing but your blood, King Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much for your blood shed for us. We are, I am, I am so aware of my sin I'm so aware what I've done wrong against the holy God and against other people but I'm also aware of your grace and forgiving me because of your blood I pray for any that don't know that watching I pray that they they think oh look I'm no longer going to stay in the the city of Cain I'm going to join the city of Abel we do want to respond right now in worship to your amazing gift to us.